0: And the church said amen, huh? Amen. How many of you have experienced the goodness of God this week? I, I told them in the first service, I said, you know, it's almost unfair for them to sing that song right before I've got to come preach because that song just tears me up. It does. His goodness is running after you. If you're here today and you don't know him, his goodness is running after you. It's coming looking for you. And if you know him, you know his goodness is running after you. What a song. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your goodness to us. We thank you today that you sent the great comforter, the spirit of truth. And Lord, I know today that if he doesn't show up, it'll just be words from a man. But all these words that we're going to speak about today, they're about the spirit of truth. And thank you for sending him, that he indwells us, that he helps us to witness, that he does all the things he's going to do when we get to know you. When we, when we meet you, we get him immediately a seal. Thank you. Thank you. May we, uh, <laughs> may we hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me set the stage for where we're at here. We're in chapter 16, verses 5 through 15. I entitled the sermon, The Holy Spirit's Work. And um, he's got some works that have been described earlier earlier in the passage. But in this particular spot, we're in the upper room still. Um, Christ is headed for the cross only moments away. The disciples, he may only have a few hours left to be with them, actually, before he'll be taken by a Roman garrison and crucified. And so, I'm just going to read back a little ways so you'll get the context of uh, leading into verses 5 through 15, but I'll start at the beginning of the chapter. If you'll read along with me, I'd appreciate it. These things I have spoken to you, so that you may be kept from stumbling. Oh, I'm glad he keeps us from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he is offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him Who sent me? And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness because i go to the father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged i have many more things to say to you but you cannot bear them now but when he the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own initiative But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. I want to show you three things. I'm going to show you that Jesus comforts his disciples here. I'm going to show you that he does the convicting work of men of the world. And then the third thing is that he is the revealer of all truth. So, first, we'll start with verses five through seven. We'll start there and we'll just work through that. But now I am going to him who sent me. Who's the him? The father who sent me. And none of you ask me, Where are you going? I think as i read this i thought what a sad verse what a sad verse here christ is walking them through everything that he's promising them all of the truth of who he is all of the different variations of stuff and we come to this final moment where he tells them i'm going back to the one who sent me and yet none of you even ask me you don't even ask me a question where are you going And I thought, how sad that is. How sad. I mean, I must have just, the feelings of Christ were crushed right here, I think. Just, it's kind of like Jesus comments here is a very sad moment for him. He's saying, I'm going back to the Father, the one who sent me. And the response is really kind of this, I'll paraphrase, so what? We don't care that you're going back to the Father. They couldn't even muster up a simple question to ask where you're going. Now for those of you who have been with us during this journey, when we've been going through John, if you've been going through this with us, you know there's a couple times where they did ask him, where are you going? In in chapter 13, verse 36, Simon Peter asked him, he says, Lord, where are you going? He just said, I'll be leaving you. And he says, well, where are you going? But he's not asking it in a a way of saying, like he's concerned about where Jesus is going to go. He's asking it in a fashion of, well, if you're going, I want to go with you. I want to go, too. Remember, for three years now, Jesus has provided everything they need. Everything they need has been being provided by him. And now he says, I'm going to leave. And Peter's like, well, I want to go with you. If I've got to stay here, how am I going to provide? How are we going to keep doing what you've been doing? And then Thomas, in chapter 14, verse 5, of John, he says something similar. He says, "Lord, we do not know where you're going." He says, "You know where I'm going." He just told him where he was going, and they say, "We don't know where you're going. How do we get where you're going?" And again, I think I can hear in my in my own mind. I hear him going, "I want to go where you're going. I, I want to be there." And of course, he says, "You will go where I'm going to go eventually, but not right now." So in these inquiries, but in these inquiries from Peter and and Thomas, it's pretty clear that they're more concerned with themselves than they are where Jesus is going. But it's amazing how Jesus comforts them in the process of no comfort coming from them to him. And you get into verse 6, and we're going to find out why they were reacting the way they did. He says, but because I have said these things to you, what things? That you're going to die, that you're going to be kept out of the synagogue, that they're going to throw you out. You're going to be an outcast amongst your own people. Because you followed me, you're going to be an outcast. And and Tim very clearly explained all that a couple weeks ago. But that's where we pointed back to verse 2. And he says, and they're going to kill you. Well, wait a minute. They didn't sign up for that. They wanted all the good stuff that he was giving them. Well, we didn't sign up to die with you. Well, you just said you wanted to go with me a couple, you know, a couple chapters before. You are going to go with me. And I think 11 of them died a martyr's death. So, because I said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. What's the problem here? They're presented with a problem that Christ says, I'm going to be with the Father. They don't even ask a question, and now we see why. Because their hearts were filled with sorrow. For Christ? Was their heart filled with sorrow for Christ? No, it wasn't. Their heart was filled with sorrow for themselves. It all became very inward at that point. And it's because... The hour is coming when you're going to be killed. They're thinking of all of that stuff. They're thinking, not only is Jesus going to leave us, but now we're going to be outcasts, and we're going to be killed at the hands of these crazy people. That's not what we signed up for, but they have signed up for that. But they can't have the full power to understand it or to accept it because the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. But he is coming. We're going to deal with that in a second or two. Think what they could have learned about Jesus if they would have just asked some questions. I was thinking of that when I Like just the where are you going would have been a concern at least. It would have been at least a, hey, where are you going? If, if, uh, if someone you love and you're with them and they say, well, I'm leaving. I'm going away. Do you just go, yeah, okay, whatever? No. You say, where are you going? What, what do you mean you're leaving? Where are you going to go? And you have some concern. And there's probably a few other questions that follow that. Right? I told him in the early service that when, Deborah and, when, when Sean and Deborah Giese left Valley Bible Church, Deborah Giese's my little cousin... Who's like my little sister Her and her two sisters Have been adopted by me as Sisters They're cousins but they really aren't They're my sisters When she and Sean came to me and said We're going to leave Valley Bible Church What was my reaction? Oh okay, whatever Oh no, 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 no No I had to get some more information What do you mean you're leaving? What are you talking about? We've been ministering here at Valley Bible Church together for 45 years. How could you leave? Why would you leave? Christ, we're ministering with you. Why would you leave us? Why do you have to go back? They didn't like the plan. They did not like the plan. That's why their hearts became so sorrowful. Like, wait a minute. You don't have to leave. Everything's going so well. Why would you leave? Because I, can't, I came to accomplish my Father's will and I can't do that by staying here. And the comforter that you need, the helper you need, will not come until I leave. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about greater things than this shall you do when I leave. Why? Because you're just such good servants? How can you do greater things than Christ did Well, you can't without the help of the Holy Spirit? But with the help of the Holy Spirit Greater things than this will you do Because Christ's ministry He can only do so much in one person But when the Holy Spirit comes in you You'll all be able to do great works Even you in the room Who are staring at me Wondering what I'm talking about right now You can do greater works But they were sorrowful But think of the questions they could have asked him. I thought of that thinking. Man, they could have said, well, what do you mean you're leaving us? Where are you going? They didn't even do that. They're more concerned now with their own plight. And isn't that what we do? Isn't it what we do? We get concerned about ourselves more than others. None of you have ever done that, but I certainly have. I think of questions like this. How are you going to leave us? You're going to die? How are you going to die? Explain that to us. And think of what they could have learned. They could have learned about his... They, could have, they should have learned already, but they could have learned about his death on a cross. They could have learned about his burial, his resurrection. They could have learned his ascension. They could have learned about the atonement. They could have learned more about the Holy Spirit being left with him. What does that mean that the Holy Spirit's coming? How is he going to indwell us? How does that work? They could have asked tons of questions. They asked none because they were stuck in themselves. They got inward. They missed an opportunity. They missed an opportunity to encourage the Lord in his own suffering that he was facing. They could have just shown him some love. Remember back in chapter 14, verse 28, he said this to them. He says, you heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father. For the Father is greater than I am. He says, I'm going back to my heavenly Father. You should be rejoicing with me. You should have loved on me and said, Praise God you're going back to your father. Thank you that you're going back. What do we do sometimes? We get so inward. I was just thinking about this as I studied this. I'm thinking when my dad was 83 years old and went into surgery and was starting to be in really bad health, and I'm thinking, oh God, please let him stay alive. Let him stay here. We don't want to lose my dad. Let's leave him here. How selfish that was for me. I was thinking of only me in that process. It's a far better place he went to than staying here. They're failing to recognize that because all they can think about is themselves. It's a greater thing that Christ goes to the Father because so many great things are going to happen that they didn't understand because they didn't even ask. They missed it completely because they could think only about themselves. How short our own memories are about what God has done in our lives, what he's doing in our lives, how he's revealing himself to us, we forget all about that when we start doing inward thinking. You get into yourself. Selfishness. They later on, though, will replace that sorrow. Christ promises them that they're gonna, he's going to replace the sorrow they feel with great joy. And oh, that's true. When they see the resurrected Christ, their hearts are filled with joy. And there was great sorrow when they saw him die. Matter of fact, they fled. You'll see that later when we go through more of it. What about you this morning? What about you? Have you ever missed an opportunity to bless or please the Lord, or to show the Lord you love Him by perhaps loving one of his children, have you ever missed an opportunity like that? I certainly have there 's always something to learn, <laughs> and, and, and it 's interesting that I, I titled this Christ Comforting them because the next verse is the comfort, but you do understand, though, that by loving on each other, you're showing that you love him. By, by serving one another, you're showing you love him. You guys understand that, right? That's what happens. You don't see him in person, but I see a Manny D'Souza. And I see a Bill Smith. I see, a, I see all kinds of people in the room that I can love on that completes the love of the Father when I love them. When you love me, you're completing a work. You're showing the Father that you care about him, that you love him in loving his people. If you want me to think that you love me, love my kids. I see you hugging on my son, or my daughter-in-law, or my daughter, or you tell me, Larry, we're praying for your daughter. We're praying for your son. Oh, you're showing me that you love me too. When you're loving on them, it directly reflects to me. When you're loving on God's children, you're loving on the Father. Quit being so into yourself. No ministry happens when all you do is think about you. No ministry will happen if you stay within your selfishness. All right. Verse 7. But I tell you the truth. Very interesting that Jesus would use those words. But I tell you the truth. Like when did he not tell them the truth? But he's double, imp- he's double dipping right now. He's doubling down. I've never spoken a lie to you, but I'm telling you the truth right now. Stay with me. Quit. Get out of your selfish thought. Look what's about to happen. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage. It is a good thing. It's to your advantage that I go away. They're probably thinking, we don't see any advantage to that. That's why they're so sorrowful. But it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I did not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if if I go, I will send him to you. Okay, so let's just think for a second. What does that look like? If I don't go, he doesn't come. If I do go, it's an advantage to you. How could that be an advantage? Everything that they had in their lives for those three years is being taken care of. They're not having to do hardly anything except walk with the Lord and learn a bunch of stuff. And, and then they're being fed. They're being taken care of by him. He's even shielding them from the world. He's even shielded them, right? He said that in verse 2. You're about now to, you're, when I leave, you're going to face the wrath of the people, the world. You're going, to, you're going to come under turmoil with the world. Okay? So, but in here he's saying, it's to your advantage that I go away. And they're, they're saying, no, nah, nah, we're not with that plan still. We're not getting it. But then he says here, he says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. What if he didn't go away? What if he doesn't go away? What if he just decides to stay? Guess what? There's no salvation for any of you. There's no church. There's no atonement. There's no crucifixion. There's no death, burial, resurrection. There's none of that if he decides to stay. But he knew the work that he had to do here was going to be so much more bountiful than what he could do if he stayed. And one of those benefits for him leaving was that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And then he's going to indwell all of us. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you get him. Um, Let me show you that. Uh Uh-oh, sorry. I'm trying to stay back a little bit from that. Ephesians 1, verses 13 through 15. This is what happens when you place faith in Jesus Christ. Okay? What does that mean? Let me explain that to you. If you're in our building today or you're online watching this, And you don't know what we mean when we say salvation or what it means to be saved or what it means to be a believer when you hear those terminologies. That means simply this, that you believe that Jesus Christ came to the earth, he was God in heaven, came to the earth in the form of man, born of a virgin, kept the law, was perfect in every way, died a horrible death on a cross, was buried and rose again. Three days later, after he was buried, he's resurrected And then he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father where he sits on a throne and has a name above every name. If you hear that storyline and you say, I believe in that. I put my full trust in that. That's what we're talking about when we say you've entered into the family of God. You've been adopted in when you place full faith in those facts. They're not just facts. I'm putting my trust in those facts. I believe that, and that alone will get me to heaven. That and that alone puts me in the family of God. So that's what we're talking about when we say it. But look what he does in verse 13 through 15. In him you you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, which is what I just explained to you very briefly, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of your inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. He's given to you, the Holy Spirit's given to you at the moment of salvation as a seal. He's a down payment of what's to come. You're sealed up in him. You're sealed. You can't ever get away. He's never going to leave you after that moment you're stuck with him more more real is he's stuck with you at that point you're sealed up in him and being a young boy and not knowing that i thought i had to seek him i had to be able to speak in tongues where i didn't have the holy spirit and then to find these truths in scripture second corinthians 1 says something very similar There's several places where he talks about the Holy Spirit being given to you at the place of your new birth. At that moment, you're given the Holy Spirit. If you weren't given the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't have a fighting chance. But he didn't leave us without. So let me say a few things about what he did do for us. I'm I'm going in here to the works of the Holy Spirit. That's the second section here the conviction of the Holy Spirit, that, that ministry. But let me just go back a little bit and show you a few things that the Holy Spirit, when we get him, what he does, and then tell you a few things about him real quick. And this is stuff we've already looked at in John. It, I just went back a little ways and said, okay, what have we learned about the Holy Spirit up to this point? And so in, in uh, John seven thirty seven through 39, let me read it to you. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You who were once dead when you accepted Christ, when you called on his name, you got living water that flowed in you. But this he spoke of the Spirit, to whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But he's speaking of a future time to them when the spirit comes you're going to have this inner flowing of living water the spirit the holy spirit brings life it's life-giving to have him in you life-giving so then the second one i want to show you real quick is in chapter 14 16 through 17 the indwelling presence of the of the holy spirit i will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you part of the time no forever forever that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive the world can't receive the spirit of truth you get people in the world that that don't believe in Jesus Christ they're not part of the body of, of, of the church they're not part of the church and they say that they can understand they have the same truth you do they don't according to this Because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. He abides within you. When you place faith in him, he came in, he took up dwelling. Him, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all three inside of you right now. All of them. So when you decide, well, I'll talk about that a little bit later, but when you decide you're going to go over here and do a little sinning, I'm just going to, i just decide I'm going to be a little bit of a rebel today. I'm going to do a little sinning. Just remember when you do that, take all three of them with you. Now, they won't enter into the sin with you, but they're in you. And then he has a teaching ministry in chapter 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. I think I preached this section a few weeks back. He said, he's going to cause you to remember all the things that I've taught you to the disciples. They were with him three years. How powerful is this Holy Spirit that he could take what appears to be some men who had dull thinking and now they can remember everything. It's part of his teaching ministry. The other thing that he did is in verse 26 of chapter 15. He's empowering us. He's empowering them, and he's empowering you. All of the things I just told you about, he's doing in you also. It's not just the disciples. If you remember something in Scripture, it's because the Holy Spirit brings that back up in your mind. He allows you to remember the only problem is he can't, allow, he can't make you remember something you never put in there. I got myself in trouble over here. What's that passage of Scripture that I read that tells me that? And the Holy Spirit will quicken you and bring that to your mind. But if you haven't read anything, you don't have anything for him to quicken to you. you got to get in the book, people. you got to read the Word of God. you got to let it speak to you. you got to let the Holy Spirit enlighten you about what God is trying to tell you. Verse 26, chapter 15. When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and then the next verse says, and you will testify about me also. If you know Jesus Christ today, if you've placed your faith in him, and you tell me, I, don't, I, I can't witness. I'm just, I get so scared when I do that. Well, join the club. Happens to me too. You get nervous sometimes. But who is the true witness? The true witness is the Holy Spirit through you. It's the Holy Spirit through you. And we're going to go right there right now. Let me just say this. When the Helper comes, whom he will send from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. That's what yours says, that's what mine says. But look at 7 again in, in our chapter 16. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Look at what he says. The departure of Jesus was extremely necessary. It was for the good. It was rendered good that he leave. It was rendered good. The word used there in Greek says it was rendered good that he'd leave. He needs to go. His leaving was profitable and beneficial without his departing. Think of this. Without his departing, which includes his death, burial, resurrection, his ascension, all of that's included in his departing. If he doesn't leave, none of that happens. We already said that once, but we're repeating it for emphasis. So there would be no gospel if he hadn't left. There would be no atonement. There'd be no, there's no Holy Spirit to deliver the atonement. He can't come if, the, if Jesus is still here. Unless he departed, there could have been no glorified Lord to send the counselor to apply the atonement. The counselor, Paracletus, that's that word there, this word was used of legal assistants who pleaded a cause or presented a case. If the Holy Spirit wasn't there To plead the case of Jesus Christ Being who he was And that's where we're headed Verse 8 Verse number 8 The conviction of men by the Holy Spirit The conviction of the world is going to take place Here we go And he, the spirit of truth When he comes, will convict the world Who is the world? That's not the believers That's unbelievers the world. He'll convict the unbelievers, of which all of you weren't once were. He'll convict the unbelievers, the world, the world system, the people in the world. He's coming to convict them. And he says, he's coming to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So I looked at this word convict, and the, the definition I like in this particular aspect, there's two different ways that this word can be uh, uh, fashioned or a sense of that. The first one is this. One is in a judicial sense, which I, I wanted to tie this together with him being a counselor and having a judicial thing. I don't really think that that's the meaning in this particular spot. It, it does have that indication. He says, one is in a judicial sense, a courtroom where a criminal is convicted of a wrongdoing and thereby punished. Ultimately, this sense of the word would lead to a sentence of those who are found guilty of sin, it would lead to eternal punishment in hell. So that's a judicial sense, and I believe that that is present in this passage, but I think it's more this. Here's how I want to use the meaning of the word convict in here. The word is likely used in its secondary sense, which is to be convinced of the reality of sin. The reality and then the subsequent need for salvation in Christ. Because the verdict is already in. You've already, you're already guilty of not knowing Christ. That's already happened. That that judgment is already, the judgment itself hasn't taken place, but the verdict is in. If you don't know Christ, you're headed for hell. That's already known. But what the Spirit is doing here is He's saying, I'm going to convince you of that fact. I'm going to convince you that that's true. I'm here to convince. So, and he's also going to convince you that the the way out of that sin is to know Christ. So here we go. Verse 9, he says, so I'm going to convict, in verse 8, he says, we'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. This sin is a singular usage, not a plural. That sin there is the singular use. Of the word sin now any sin will keep you from God any sin but there's one that really condemns you there's one sin that condemns you to a fiery lake of fire and that one is the rebellion against God every sin is a rebellion against God but this rebellion reached its climax in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and once he died on a cross and was buried, and rose again, and fulfilled what the Father's will was, if you don't believe in that, that's the sin that condemns you. That's the sin that keeps you from the Father. This is the only sin that ultimately damns people to an eternity in hell without the Father out of the purview of God anymore if you're here this morning if you're watching us online and you're thinking well i got a pretty good life I've never placed my faith in him and I've got a really good life I'm living in a house bigger than I should be in and i got 17 cars that I don't drive all of those things it's all great, it's all good stuff but one day you're going to stand before this king and what are you going to tell him? Most people do not readily admit to being guilty to sin, of sin. They think they're good enough. I can't tell you how many hellraisers I've known who think they're good enough. I worked in construction for years, and I've been around a lot of folks in my 63 years, and um, I'm amazed at how many of them would tell me, "Well, I'm a pretty good guy." I'm like, man, you just told me you cheated on your wife and you had a fight with somebody last night. And you think you're good enough. Because they're not readily willing to admit that they need a Savior. They've not been convinced of their sin yet. They've not been convicted or convinced. They just think everything's the way it should be. That's why the Holy Spirit's on board. It's to show them that that's not the right way. Most people... However, they will admit to failures. It's funny. They will admit to failures, vices, and other crimes that they've done, but they'll tell you they're good enough. They'll tell you all the things that they've done wrong and still say, but I I think that God's still going to let me in. (sighs) Frustrating. However, sin is against God and people have suppressed the truth. We see that in Romans 1. They just keep suppressing the truth. And we just keep depravity continues it gets deeper and deeper and deeper the mighty working of the Holy Spirit is necessary to convince and convict people of their desperate plight they're headed for eternity in hell and some of them are running there faster than some of the others do you know any of them Do you know any of them? What's the message you might tell them that would make them turn from their sin? You can't make them turn. Sorry, you might want to with all your heart. You you can't change anybody's heart in the room. But the Holy Spirit can. God can. But what we do sometimes is we become frozen at the mouth when it comes to this. But I'm going to tell you, this section of Scripture right here should encourage you. It was meant to encourage the disciples. So let's move on. In verse 10, he says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. The righteousness here is Jesus Christ's righteousness as the Son of God, evidenced in the fact. His righteousness is clearly spoken in the second part. I go to the Father. No one goes to the Father that's not righteous. No one. In Habakkuk 1.13, he says this about God. He says, your eyes are too pure to approve evil. You won't approve of evil. Your eyes are too pure. You cannot look on wickedness with favor. There's no way he's letting Jesus come up there if he's not righteous. You're not letting him in his presence if he's not righteous. Try getting in God's presence if you're not righteous. You will fall way short. Philippians 2, 9. Let me look at it real quick with you. Let's go back up to 8. Being found in appearance as a man... This is talking about Christ. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. He's going to be with him because he's the righteous one. And they have to be convinced that he's righteous. These two are the contrasting differences. Sin, not righteous. Righteousness, Jesus Christ. So when you look at it, they're contrasting views. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin while at the same time convicting and convincing the need for righteousness. And where do you get the righteousness? You get the perfect righteousness that is necessary for God the Father to smile on it from Jesus Christ and what he did on a cross. When man sees his wickedness next to Christ's sinless holiness... They realize how evil they really are. You've got to be convinced that you're in sin. You've got to be convinced that this one here, if you place your faith in him, he'll wipe the sin out because he's so righteous. This action takes away any self-righteousness. When you see the righteousness of Christ, you realize how unrighteous you are. Well, I think I'm good enough. Well, you aren't. And let me put you up against the mirror of Jesus Christ and we'll see how good you are. That'll reflect something you don't even want to look at. You get to look at yourself in the mirror and then compare it to Christ? There's no comparison. But it's the thing that convinces you, you need a Savior. I need something bigger than me. I can't get myself out of the plight I'm in. I've been stuck in sin. I don't know him. I want to know him, but I don't know him. How do I do that? i got to go to one more righteous than me. You can try living all you want really good. You're not. If you don't have him, you don't have nothing. Concerning judgment. Verse 11, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Judgment's already come. If you're following the ruler of this world, you're already under judgment. If you continue to follow after him, reject Christ, and follow after the ruler of this world, you will end up where the ruler of this world is going to end up. His verdict's already been read. And he has no way of getting out of the judgment that's coming for him. But he wants to take as many of you as he can. He's so wicked. He's so wicked. He would rather you die and go to hell with him than to see you go to heaven and be with the Father. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is condemnation of Satan, the prince of this world. Jesus defeated Satan at the cross, at the, at the resurrection, he defeated him. The one bastion of hope that he had, the one thing he could hold on mankind, was that he was conquering, us yes, in death. And Christ came and said, you no longer have that authority. I have the authority over death. Though he's been defeated by the cross, he's still active. Satan's still active. Because he's trying to take as many of you with him to the downward plight because he doesn't want you to be with God he's got a battle going on between him and the Lord but like a condemned criminal you know what he is he's just on death row Satan's just on death row he's got one of them little ankle things on him he can go a little ways but he can't go too far God knows right where he's at. So he's already condemned and his execution is coming. According to Revelations 20 verse 2 and 7 through 10, he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Yeah, yeah, you can clap for that. People in rebellion should take note of Satan's defeat and fear the Lord who holds the power to judge. That's why he's showing you that. Now listen, so he convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He convicts of those three things. What's your response to them? What's the response of you that are at home, who maybe have never placed faith in Christ? What's your response? How do you respond? There's only two ways to respond to these three truths. Three, three truths, two ways to respond. One is reject it as just folly. God doesn't know what He's talking about. I'm good enough, I'll get there by myself. You can just reject it, reject all of it. If you choose the path of rejection, you face eternal destruction. There's no way to get to the Father but by the Son. And you have to be convinced by the Holy Spirit. You have to be convinced that the Son is the only way to get to the Father. If you're not convinced by the Holy Spirit, you're not getting there. Let me say that again. If the Holy Spirit doesn't convince and convict you, you're not getting there. There's no way to God, except through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Trinity is involved in your salvation. And guess who we leave out tons of times? The Holy Spirit. We leave Him out. We like the idea of the Father, and we like the idea of the Son. The Holy Spirit—he's like—he's like hes like, a, he's like a, uh, I don't know—he's like the cousin nobody mentions, like cousin Eddie in Christmas Vacation. That's what we treat him like sometimes. But yet, you got to have him. You—you you can't move on in this life without him. You can't grow and mature and become what God intended you to become unless you have the Holy Spirit. And you can't get to God or Jesus or any of it without the Holy Spirit. So you can go to destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You find that in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. I'm not going to read it because I don't have time, but trust me, it's there. If you choose the path of repentance, if you choose the path of repentance, you will spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. I can't believe you didn't react. If you choose the path of repentance, you're going to spend eternity in heaven with the Lord. My goodness. And in this life, right now, right now, if you have chosen repentance, he doesn't just go, okay, I got another one, and I'm off. Oh, no, no. The Holy Spirit's indwelling you now. He's in you. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're all indwelling you. Young man, he's indwelling you. You did more than go in those waters. You were baptized the minute you placed faith in him. That minute it happened. So, look at this. You will face persecutions without defection. If you face persecutions if you say you're a believer in Christ and you face persecution and you defect I don't know if you know him I'm questioning whether you know him because the God that I know saves forever and you don't defect you can't get out of his hand who can take you out of his hand no one can pluck you from the hand of God and what's he say What's what's Christ say he says and the father's hand and my hand are the same It's like that. Phil Howard told me one time, he said, it's like you're right here in God the Father's hand and Christ says, and my hand and his hand are the same. He's saying, it's like he goes like that. Oh, try and get out. You can't get out if you want to. And sure enough, no one else can get you. But look at this. You can do it without defection because of this promise. And I love this promise. This is right from God, written by John. In 1 John 4, 4, he says, Greater is he who is in you. If you know Jesus Christ, he's in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Greater is he in you that is in the world. You don't have to worry about it. Just lean back and let God do the driving, would you? My third point, I don't have enough time for it. I, I would say verse 12 is true of me right now. I have many more things to say to you, but I can't, you cannot bear them right now. <laughs> I will just tell you this real quick. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, reveals the truth. Whatever you don't know about God today, as you read your Bible this week, that one is the one that will reveal what he wants you to see about the Father in that passage. He's the revealer of truth. And he's telling this to the disciples. Guess what? These men are going to go write the Bible because of his influence in their lives. He's going to tell them every truth. Just, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative. He never talks of his own accord. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. Go on. He will glorify me. Remember, this is Christ talking. He's going to glorify me. The Holy Spirit's going to glorify Jesus Christ. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. Whatever I want him to do, whatever I want you to know, the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. When tomorrow you read your Bible and you see something brand new in there, it's not the Holy Spirit talking to you. He's just revealing what the Son's trying to tell you. Now look, it goes even further because He says, He will glorify me for He will take of mine and I will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Everything that the Father wants Jesus to say, it's His to say. The Father's telling Jesus, this is what that person needs. Jesus tells the Holy Spirit, reveal that to them. That's how it works. They're all three involved in the revelation of Scripture to you. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, there's a broken communication there. It doesn't get to you. It all goes through the Holy Spirit. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. I get the word from the Father. Isn't Jesus Christ this incredible Just, he's incredible. And you should be able to clap just at that. But isn't it incredible how he submits to the Father? He just says, whatever you want, Dad. Oh, I wish my son would say that. No, he has said it. I think whenever I was paying for stuff, he said, whatever you want to order, Dad. He had my card, so he felt like he could do that. But, I mean, think about it. This is what the Holy Spirit, this is the promised Holy Spirit to you. This is the things he's doing. We we talked about, there's like six things that he does that you get immediately. It drives me crazy. I've been saved for 58 years. 58 years I've known Christ to be my Savior. And if you get saved today, you get everything I got. Huh? It's the truth. You may not know what you got, but you get it. It's going to take a lifetime to discover all of it. Thank goodness the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to us. Amen? Because Jesus is the Word, the revelation of the Father, or as Paul expressed it, the image of the invisible God in Colossians 1.15, all that belongs to the Father is also the Son's. The Spirit of truth brought glory to Jesus as he revealed the apostles things per, to the apostles things pertaining to the person and work of Logos, the Word taking from what is mine and making it known to you. The Spirit worked in the apostles' minds so they could perceive, understand, and teach about the Savior and wrote it down so you can have it today. Now then, I want to ask a real quick question and I'm going to let you go. How many of you are a little bit I don't want to use the word fear because that might be too big. How many of you get a little anxious when you're going to share your faith with somebody? How many of you get a little anxious? Just a little thing in your stomach. Ooh, I hope they receive this right. Because this is the comfort to the, the disciples. This was the comfort to them. You don't have to worry about convicting them. You don't have to worry about convincing them. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, you should still be a little anxious about when you share faith, when you share your faith with somebody else when you're trying to tell them how, to, how they can know your Savior. I get a little anxious when I do it because of this. I believe we're waiting for the Bride of Christ to be completed. When the Bride of Christ is completed, God is going to send Jesus Christ back to us and we're going to meet him in the air shortly thereafter. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we're going to go with him. And I always think of this when I'm witnessing to somebody, I'm thinking, this could be the one. Like I got the one that's going to do it, but God's going to be the one. But just think about it. If that one that you're witnessing to tomorrow or the next day or whatever, if they're the one, we're out of here. The bride's complete and we go. That should make you want to witness to everybody you know. What stops you from witnessing? Our own fear, our own complacency. I just want to challenge you with this. Know that when you go into that, God has set that up ahead of time for you. He set it up ahead of time for you. You know what stops us from doing it sometimes, I think, is what we talked about, the disciples being a little selfish at the beginning of this. Sometimes we're a little too selfish to share it. Because we think, well, man, if I share this, they're going to think I'm crazy. Right? none of you have ever felt that way right? like when you're sharing the gospel this, this person is going to think I'm a Jesus freak well if he does praise God that he thinks you're a Jesus freak but we do that right? we, we kind of get a little intimidated we don't do it well I'm thinking this passage right here should comfort you when you go to share your faith with somebody God Christ is going to I mean the Holy Spirit is going to convince them anyway it's not up to you to convince them none of you can change anybody No, no. You can barely change yourself, and even then, you need the Holy Spirit's help. He's got to reveal what needs to be changed. Amen. So I think the. What are you doing about this truth? This is just a great truth that we exposed. What can you do with it now? I'm saying go share it with everyone. Go share the the, your faith in Jesus Christ with people, knowing that the Holy Spirit's got your back. He's got your back. And guess what? They're going to hate you anyway, whether you do it or not. Didn't Pastor Tim two weeks ago tell you you're hated because you follow Christ? Well, if you're going to be hated, you might as well be hated for the right thing. Tell them the truth. Go tell them. Next week we should have 50 new people in here because they got saved. Because you got unleashed on them. And the Holy Spirit, His job is to convince them, and God the Father and Jesus Christ, they all want new converts in this building. They're not in the business of just making us comfortable. Get outside the walls and tell somebody about Jesus Christ this week and watch the Holy Spirit do his job. And you'll be able to say, okay, I appreciate him in a whole new way. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your scriptures. We thank you that the Holy Spirit, even now, if these people here in the building and out watching us online if they've received anything from these words it's from the Holy Spirit he's the one that tells us what we need to know he's the revealer of all truth and so thank you that I don't have to try and convince people I'm not that big I'm not that talented but I've got the Holy Spirit in me working with me and he's convincing those around us that they need a Savior wow thank you so much Lord be with us this week I pray that uh, you'll give people in this room and the people that are watching us online multiple opportunities to share their faith to share about Jesus Christ the Spirit wants us to do that you want us to do that so may we make it happen this week at Valley Bible Church let us become a church that's known outside the walls of our building for being a church that tells people about Jesus Christ on our jobs and in our neighborhoods and in our families because we do not want to see them face hell We want to see them in heaven with us. We pray all these things in your precious son's name. Amen. Thank you.